Church history. Light amid the darkness is seen in the life of Luther. London, G. Morish, 20, Paternoster Square, before 1915. Republished by Irving Risch, host of Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded podcast. Chapter 27. Attempts at Agreement, A.D. 1530-1536. At the end of 1530 the elector was summoned to Cologne to meet with others to elect a king of the Romans. Ferdinand, the emperor's brother, was to be the king. The Protestant princes held a meeting, and thought it right to oppose the election. The elector wrote to Luther for his judgment. I am a child in the things of the world, said Luther, I will pray, and entreat therefore that God may be graciously pleased to guide and direct you. As he has hitherto done, he thought the elector ought not to oppose the election. Melanchthon gave the same advice. The Protestant princes however protested against the election, in which they were joined by some of the Catholic princes. The emperor explained that he had too much to look after, the attention which so many lands claimed defied the attempts of a single sovereign to discharge a duty. Though it has been judged that his real motive was to secure to his own family the succession to the office of emperor. The king of the Romans was not to be a king of Italy, as his title might seem to imply, but a sort of deputy emperor, so that he would, as well as the emperor, be over the princes of Germany. The Protestant princes had no desire for this. They declared that they could not own anyone as over them except the emperor himself. Nevertheless Ferdinand was elected king of the Romans without the sanction of the elector and his friends. The Protestant princes again met at Smallcalde, see note, early in 1531. They had not separated when a message came from the emperor requesting assistance from their states against the Turks, whose progress was as rapid as it was successful. The princes declared they were ready to bear a portion of the burdens of the empire, but complained that great violence had been used towards them. Afford us protection, said they, against further proceedings of the fiscal chambers, and we will render the required assistance. Note, called also Schmalkalden or Smallkalden. It is a town in Hesse Castle, in the province of Fulda, at the meeting of two streams, the Schwilkalde and the Stein. It is ten miles north of Meiningen. End of note. The Archbishop of Mentz and Louis, Prince Palatine, offered to act as mediators between the Emperor and the Protestant princes, which was accepted. Deputies from all these met together, but it was the old question over again of making concessions. The deputies from the princes would not enter into any such questions in the absence of the theologians. About the same time the Count of Nassau and the Count of Neuenar visited the Elector of Saxony. They advocated a compromise, and expressed their suspicion that the Elector was inclined to unite with the sacramentarians. But he declared in the strongest terms his rooted dislike to that body. And what, we may ask again, was there to call forth this great dislike of the Elector? Why those Christians denied the real presence of the body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper? Thus, though after the Diet of Augsburg, the Germans and Swiss had agreed to own their oneness, yet there was really this animosity which should not have existed among Christians. The Counts requested the Elector to be present at a proposed Diet to be held in September. But the Elector dreaded a repetition of the contests at Augsburg. The threats that had been thrown out would make him require a safe conduct, before either he or his son could attend. Again, he could not agree to forbid the evangelists preaching the gospel, and he could not sin against his conscience by making a distinction between different kinds of meat. He also stated that if religion was to be a subject for consideration at the Diet, it would be necessary to have Luther and other theologians with him, for whom he should require safe conducts. Luther, during all these questions, was ever on the watch. He had lately published a book, Martin Luther's Admonition to His Beloved Germans, in which he showed that if there were tumults and seditions, the reformers were not responsible for them, for they advocated patience and submission even unto death. 
the most violent of our adversaries, said Luther, are obliged to acknowledge that no article of the Protestant confession opposes scripture or the rule of faith, but certain ceremonies only and the decrees of the popes, who have imbrued their hands in the blood of many innocent confessors. Luther states three reasons against a religious war. One, was the close affinity there was between the gospel and the Protestant confession, would they war against the gospel of God? The second, to carry on a war for Rome would be a re-establishing or strengthening all the worst abuses of the papal system, abuses which many of the Catholic princes were forward to condemn. Thirdly, to the purity of the doctrines put forth by the Protestants as compared with those put forth by the papists. Under this head he speaks of the doctrine of justification by faith, which he sees is really the object of all the persecution against them, but which the gates of hell will never be able to overcome. When the Edict of Augsburg was published, Luther put forth another paper taking up the various points. He showed how private masses, which brought so rich a harvest to the priests, were contrary to the gospel, which was not to be bought and sold. In answer to one who had attacked him he maintained that all Christians were bound to obey the powers that be. But that no one was obliged to obey the emperor or any power if he commanded him to take up arms against true religion and justice. And he pointed to the example of Saint Maurice who with 10,000 of his fellow soldiers met death rather than obey the emperor who desired them to do what they accounted unholy. The diet which was to have been held in September was postponed till the following year, 1532, when a diet was held at Ratisbon. See note. Again the Archbishop of Mentz and the Elector Palatine persuaded the emperor to let them again try to bring about a reconciliation. He gave his consent, and on April 1st a meeting was called at Schweinfurt, a town of Bavaria on the bank of the Main. The deputies came with a more formal proposition from the emperor, the principal items of which were, note. A city of Bavaria, situated on the south bank of the Danube, opposite to the influx of the river Regan, from which its German name, Regensburg, is derived. End of note. The Protestants should not publish or teach anything not contained in the Confession of Augsburg. That they should have no communication with the Zwinglians or Anabaptists. They should make no attempt, under the plea of religion, to draw to their party the subjects of other princes. That they should not allow their preachers to teach the doctrines beyond the boundaries of their own states. That they should neither disturb the established ecclesiastical jurisdiction, nor attack the rites and ceremonies of the church. That they should furnish succors against the Turks. That they should obey the emperor and the king of the Romans. If they did all this and more besides, the emperor and the king of the Romans would forget all past offences. To these propositions the princes replied that the king of the Romans had been appointed contrary to all the rules of the empire. To the other propositions they gave a general sort of consent. Charles was anxious to have assistance against the Turks, so that he took the advice of the mediating princes, and proclaimed that no person should henceforth be interrupted in the observance of his religion till the meeting of a council or at least till the orders of the empire had provided some method for the healing of the wounds inflicted by the present disorders. On the 27th of July the Diet of Ratisbon was broken up, and the princes hastened away to their states to summon their people to march against the Turks. As this was being done the aged John Elector of Saxony, departed this life. His son John Frederick succeeded him. A bloody conflict was expected with the Turks, Solomon with his victorious army was at Graz, a place in Styria, the emperor with his army was in the vicinity of Vienna. They each watched for the other to make the attack. At length Solomon withdrew the Turks without venturing a battle, and the danger was over. No sooner was Charles at liberty than he turned his face towards Rome, and consulted with the Pope as to the proposed council. The Pope by his nuncio wrote to the new elector of Saxony, informing him that the Pope agreed to a general council, conformable to the councils held by the Fathers and under the direction of the Holy Ghost. 
providing that promises would be given that its decisions should be final. He would name the place of its meeting. It would be either Bologna, Placentia, or Mantova. John Frederick was wise enough not to reply offhand. He told the messengers of the Pope and of the Emperor that, as a numerous body of persons had taken part in the confession at Augsburg it would not be seemly in him to answer without consulting them. A meeting was about to be held in June at Smallcalde, when the proposition should be considered, and a reply made to the Pope. At the meeting the Pope's letter was taken into solemn consideration. They had asked for a general council, and now one was offered to them. Could they accept it? They drew up a reply. They thanked the Emperor for his determination for a council, but they must qualify their acceptance of it. They needed a council, in which neither the power nor the influence of the Pope should interfere with the due consideration of their cause. And whereat no attempt should be made to decide the points in dispute by the decrees of the Popes and the opinion of the schoolmen, but only by the authority of Scripture. The council should be held in Germany, as the Emperor himself admitted, and not in either of the three places named, which were in the states of the Pope. They could not bind themselves to accept the decisions of the Council as final, until they knew more of its constitution and its basis of deciding questions. They had noticed that the Pope had said this Council was to be held in conformity to former Councils. But what did that mean? Some of the Councils merely enforced what had been decided on by the Pope. Judging that the Pope really meant to entrap them, they said, if the Pope insists on pursuing his present purpose, we place our cause in the hands of God. Who will defend his doctrine and the purity of his worship? Thus spoke these princes to the Emperor, and through him to the Pope, in behalf of the Protestants generally. The Pope had named eighteen months as a probable period before the Council could be called. But what might not take place during so long a period? Luther however was busy with writing, preaching and lecturing, when a turn was given to affairs by the death of the Pope Clement VII. In 1534, Cardinal Farnese, under the title of Paul III, was his successor. He sent his minister Paul Verger into Germany to sound the elector and his friends as to the council. The Pope was desirous of the council, but it must be held in Italy, and be governed by the rules of former councils. The elector, said he, would consult with his friends before giving a reply. Verger went to Wittenberg, and Luther was invited to have an interview with him. Luther was so thoroughly convinced that nothing good could be got from the Pope that he was inclined to ridicule both the Pope and his minister. Pomeranus accompanied Luther, they were all civil and courteous to one another, the subject of the council was soon introduced. I and my associates, said Luther, are convinced by the Holy Spirit of the truth of our doctrine, and need no council to determine for us, but there are others who, ignorant and sorrowful and oppressed by tyranny, know not what they ought, or what they ought not to believe. Let a council then be called, I will be present, though it should condemn me to be burnt. The legate asked whether priests were ordained now in Saxony. They are ordained, said Luther, for the Pope would not ordain them for us. And behold here sits a bishop, pointing to Pomeranus, whom we have ordained. Had Luther been asked for his authority, it would have been awkward, for certainly he could not have shown his authority from Scripture to ordain others. They had further conversation, and Luther assured the legate that their opinion did not rest on the learning or wisdom of men, but on the firm and solid rock, the word of God, which should remain forever, and yield not to the gates of hell. The words and courage of Luther had a good effect on the legate. He found the reformer and his work different from what they had been represented to him. He eventually became a minister in the Reformed Church. The Protestant princes had called a meeting to consider and to reply to the message of the Pope brought to them by Verger. It was firm but respectful. The council could not be held in Italy, unless the safety of those attending it were guaranteed. As former popes had punished the adherents to the Reformed doctrine when they could, Paul III ought not to be the judge. The Pope himself rather needed to be judged.
they desired an impartial tribunal, and one that would decide according to scripture. But before this meeting broke up, an envoy arrived from the King of France. He was meditating a war against Italy, and was in hopes of gaining the assistance of the Protestant princes. What heartlessness and want of common honesty, for this man to make such a proposition to the Protestants, with his hands all bloody with persecuting their friends in France. He made the best excuse he could for the persecution he had been carrying on, and gave great assurance of his friendly feeling now. This same man afterwards shocked the whole of Christianity by forming an alliance with the Turks. The princes could place no faith in the king's repentance, and could form no alliance which might be construed into treason against the emperor. At the above meeting of the Protestant princes another ambassador also arrived. It was Fox, Bishop of Hereford, and he came from Henry VIII, of England. The history of the Reformation in England must be sought, for the causes which had transformed so bitter an enemy to the Reformation, as Henry VIII was, into a friend and admirer. See note, Fox told the princes that Henry was well disposed, not only to the Elector of Saxony, but also to the Reformers and the Reformation. He exhorted them against any jealousy or schism among themselves to weaken their strength in the approaching council. If peace was restored it must be on the basis of scripture. He informed them of how the papal power had been destroyed in England, and exhorted them not to take part in any council which would only confirm the power of the Pope and re-establish superstition. Note. See a companion volume, Lights and Shadows of the Reformation. End of note. However Luther might at times seem to desire to confine the Reformation to spiritual matters, it associated itself more and more with politics. We have seen that he himself advocated the freedom of the nation from the Pope's control, and now that the Protestant princes had formed an alliance and met together at Smallcalde, altogether irrespective of whether they were Christians or not. They were appealed to as a powerful political body both by France and England, and indeed it is credibly stated that the princes themselves had previously sent their ambassadors to both the above courts. At the end of the meeting these Protestant princes were joined also by the Duke of Württemberg and the princes of Pomerania, together with the cities of Frankfurt, Augsburg, Hamburg and Hanover. It was at the meeting at Smallcalde that were drawn up another set of Articles of Faith, known as the Articles of Smallcalde. They are said to have been written by Luther, and were similar to the Augsburg Confession. But bolder in language. Melanchthon qualified his subscription to them. He thought the Pope might be acknowledged, provided he allowed the word of God to be preached in purity. But what Pope ever did this? Erasmus, a learned Dutchman, died soon after this, in the year 1536. He had long seen the follies and errors of the priests, and had very freely censured them, mostly in a sarcastic style, but had always managed to escape punishment, though he offended many. Indeed he was caressed by kings and popes. It was said that Erasmus laid the egg, and Luther hatched it, but Erasmus had never gone beyond pointing out errors and follies, he had not faith to follow the light or to suffer for Christ. Though he valued the scriptures and published a New Testament in Greek and Latin, in 1516. He was solicited to attack Luther, but declined. Of him he said, Luther has given us a wholesome doctrine, and many a good counsel. I wish he had not defeated the effect of them by intolerable faults. But if he had written everything in the most unexceptionable manner, I had no inclination to die for the sake of truth. Every man has not the courage requisite to make a martyr, and I am afraid, that if I were put to the trial I should imitate Saint Peter.